0: So, we are all right there, so um, we 're in a um, conversation called um, a better life and the, the question we 're looking at is how can we have a better life? Um, we know that the, the way that Christianity teaches us to have a better life is different than the way the world teaches The world teaches us that if we have our toes in the sand and a cool drink next to us that 's the way to have a better life, and maybe that is the way to have a better weekend, but it 's probably not the way to have a better life so What we've been learning is that uh, a better life begins with spiritual disciplines that help us to grow, to become more like Christ. So we talked about prayer, and we talked about um, having a better worship life, and last week we talked about um, uh, reading the Bible. And I hope I hope all of you last week who were here last week uh, uh, took the opportunity to actually crack that Bible open. And maybe you do that every day, and that's great. Uh, But maybe if you don't, that you took the opportunity to say, "All right, I should I should actually try reading the Bible more." So. uh, I, I encourage you, if you, uh, didn't get to it this week, then try, try, um, uh, this upcoming week. So, so do read your Bible. But, um, um, uh, you would expect me to say that I've got lots of Bibles. If you go to my study, you'll see, I've, I i do not know, I've got, I've got a bunch of Bibles. Um, it's, uh, like some people have shoes. Um, so, uh, or, or Jay Leno has cars. So, I've got a bunch of Bibles in my, in my study. But, and I've got a bunch of uh, books that are really related to the Bible. I've got theology books where people have taken Taken uh, the the scriptures and they've tried to synthesize them and say, okay, what does what what can we learn from the Bible about God or about people um, and so uh, or some other topic of, of interest? So so I've got a bunch of books on theology, and you would expect that. But I've also got some other books. Um, uh, the most common books I've got I've got some samples here. Um, if you if you were to look in my uh, study besides the Bible and theology, I've got books like this. Um, this is a book called um, Made to Stick. And it's about how to be a good communicator by having having a way to um, communicate ideas in such a way that they stick in people's heads. And you know that's what that's what you would expect a pastor to want to know how to do. So so I want to learn how I can how I can put ideas across in such a way that they stick with you and not just kind of uh, vanish uh, over time. So I want to I want to be a better preacher. So I, I read books like that. Here's another book I read: um, uh, How to Have um, Impossible Conversations. You can imagine part of being a pastor is you have a lot of difficult conversations. Well, um, this book told me forget difficult. We can go straight on to impossible. So, um, so I read books like that. And um, uh, here's another book. Um, some of you will understand this better than others. So, uh, death by meeting. So, um, <laughs> so pastors, <coughs> pastors sit in a lot of meetings. And um, uh, the reason I read these books is because. Um, it's not because reading a book will make you an expert, but if you read a book written by an expert, then usually they will tell you the things that they learned um, not to do. And so you can learn from other people's mistakes. It doesn't mean you'll necessarily be any good yourself, but at least you will, you know, out of the, the set of all the possible mistakes in the world, you will learn that the, there are some that you can avoid um, without having to do them yourself. So... so um, so I read a lot of books like this because I want to be the best that I can at what I do. I want to be. I want to be a good preacher. I want to be a good counselor. I want to be, if it's possible, in to have good meetings. I want to have good meetings. In fact, I don't want to just have good meetings. I want to have great meetings. I want to have great conversations. I want to communicate in a way that's great. And I'm sure that I'm not alone. In fact, I know I'm not alone because I can find books like this. In fact, I've seen some of these books at airports. And so I know there's at least travelers like to get books like this. So if you go into an airport bookstore, there's always this kind of stuff, you know, best leadership secrets and things like that. So so there's books where people are being taught how to be better at what it is they do. And I know uh, that, that all of us have things we'd like to do better because we want to be good at what it is we do, whether it's a hobby or whether it's work, um, whether it's a relationship we're working on. We, we try to find out, how can I do that as good as I can? How can I be as good as possible at that thing? And so what we want is we want greatness. But the greatness that the world offers and the greatness that Christianity um, offers are two different things. And so what I want to talk about today is greatness, because Jesus said it's okay to want to be great. You know, I think sometimes Christians shy away from that. They say, well, that sounds prideful or, you know, uh, ambitious, and I'm not sure if I want to be um, those things. Uh, You know, it would be bad for me as a Christian to be those things. But Jesus says it's okay to be great. And in fact, he tells us how we can be great. And we see it in this reading. The, the the situation in our reading leading up to our reading is that two of the disciples get Jesus to one side and they say, Hey, we want the top jobs in your administration. And the ten disciples, the ten other disciples, when they hear about it, they're indignant because they wanted to get Jesus off to one side and ask for those top jobs themselves. And so these guys kind of clawed their way, you know, up to the top of the pyramid, or they thought that's what they needed to do, that they needed to jockey for position, they needed to get the top jobs. In Jesus' administration, that way, and Jesus says, "No, no, no. That's that's the way the world thinks about greatness. The world thinks about greatness in terms of ermine capes and and gold crowns and corner offices and red staplers and uh, uh, private jets and and you know all those things that the world thinks about for greatness. And Jesus says um, that that's not the way that they should think about greatness. So the, when the ten other disciples heard what Jesus and uh, what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And nothing has changed in 2,000 years, right? You, you picture, you know, if I say politician, you probably think ermine cape or something along those lines. You know, very classy. Um, so um, uh, we, we know this is what, what people expect from the great. But Jesus says, among you, among you, it will be different. He says, among you, whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. He says, we must be the slave of everyone else. He says, that is the secret to greatness. And probably there's nothing more counterintuitive that Jesus ever said than the way to greatness is not by climbing to the top of the pyramid, but by serving everybody right at the bottom and he says but it's true even the son of man even the son of man even jesus came not to be served if there was anybody who needed to be served who deserved to be served it was jesus but he came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many so jesus says you have you you have to as you, as you seek greatness you have to realize the way the world teaches you about greatness and the way i will teach you about greatness are two different things because the world the world says the point of greatness is to lord it over other people. But I will tell you that the point of greatness is love. That greatness is all about loving others. He says, he says you serve others not because the service itself is intrinsically rewarding. We know Jesus, um, he, he said the Son of Man gave his life a ransom for all. And we know Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified. He said, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's anything I can do to avoid this act of service, let me have it. But thy will, not mine. He says, "He says, I am compelled forward by my love of the people that I came to save. It's not that the service itself is rewarding, but what the service does. It's the love of the other that compels people to service. We know this. Anyone who's ever gotten up in the middle of the night to change a diaper knows that it's the love of the other that compels us to service. So Jesus says, "Jesus says the world will tell you that it's all about lording it over others." He says it's all about love, and that's our first point. Um, it is it is about love, but love that is more than simply a feeling. It's not just a lump in your throat. It's not just uh, uh, misty eyes. It's not just um, you know, my heart goes out to you, but it's actually love that leads to service. So love is more than a feeling. We read in the first, uh, first letter of John, dear, dear children, let's not merely say we love each other, let's show the truth by our actions. He says, let's, let's actually demonstrate our love. And James says the same thing. He says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And um, we read uh, throughout the uh, Hebrew scriptures that the idea of loving God and serving God are indistinguishable to, to the, the people of God, that you can't separate those out. I can't just love God. I, can't, I have, If I love God, I have to serve God as well. So Joshua, as the, as the people are getting ready to go into the promised land, Joshua uh, stands up before them and offers them this challenge. He says, figure out who it is you want to serve. You can serve yourself you can serve the Lord, you can serve the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates, you can serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But he says, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord, that we will love the Lord, and therefore we will serve the Lord. And the prophet Isaiah, when he appreciates that God has taken his sin away, his first response is to give himself in service to the Lord He heard the Lord's voice saying, whom should I send and who will go for us? And he said, I'm here, send me. That the the love of God and the love of God's people compels us forward. John says that that's not an accident. He says, if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So loving God and loving neighbors come naturally together that we can't do one without leading straight to loving our neighbors. But God says this too. He says he says when you love your neighbor, when you serve your neighbor, that he will treat that as if you were doing it for him. Um, in the letter to the Hebrews it says God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for others. You know cir- circle the word him. God God is the one who is blessed when you serve others. That God credits it as service to Him. So, love leads us to service. Because love is more than a feeling. But it is the service that leads us to greatness. Our second point, true nobility, true greatness is expressed in service. And this is, this is the counterintuitive part. We don't get the idea that, that the, the people at the bottom, the people who are who are mopping our floors and, and making our food, are the great people. We think the great people are the ones in the corner office with the with the private jet, but true nobility Jesus teaches is expressed in service because no one was more noble than Jesus. Nobody had more angels ready to wait on his every command but Jesus. but what did he do? He left all that behind, and God gave. His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. The Apostle Peter writes this. He says, "You, the people of God, you, you people of God, are royal priests. Your chosen people. You're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession." He says, "When you serve other people, it's not because God loves them more and is using you as a tool to help them. It's not that God is really kind of looking out for them and they have a higher status in God's eyes than you do." That's not what he's saying. He's saying God has chosen you. God has selected you. God has put His stamp of approval on you. You are by appointment to His Majesty, the King. You are the royal priesthood. It's not that you are you are tools to achieve some purpose of God and only tools. God does want you to do the work of reaching the other people. Yes, um, he says. He says as a result you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of lightness into His uh, out of darkness into His wonderful light. Yes, God wants you to do that, but not because God cares more about them than about you. You are his chosen people. So, so there is nobility in service. And Jesus says, this is just something we have to we have to believe. If we believe in Jesus, this this comes with it. This idea is inextricably linked with the idea of Jesus. He says to his disciples, who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The fat cat who pays the check or the waiter? Who's more important? Well, we know who we think is more important, right? The one who has the reserved table in the back, right? That's the person, right? Not the waiter. But Jesus says, the one who sits at the table, right? Of course, not here, for I am among you as one who serves. Jesus says that he, the king of glory, came to serve. So true nobility is expressed in service. So, So if you want a better life, if you want significance in your life, then serve. So that's the big idea, and now I want to talk about how you actually do it. Well, the first thing is that anybody who loves can serve. Anybody who loves can serve. If you don't love, you can't serve, or it doesn't do any good. You won't achieve the greatness that Jesus is talking about if you don't love. So love comes first, but anyone who loves can serve. When uh, Jesus has been raised from the dead, he, he um, uh, Simon, Simon has gone fishing, and uh, Simon Peter, he's gone fishing, and Jesus meets him on the beach, and um, he says to he says to uh, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, Then feed my lambs. That's all Jesus says. He doesn't bring up the denials, the the three denials. He doesn't bring up the fact that that Simon has chucked the whole thing and is now ready to go to go uh, back to fishing. Jesus doesn't bring any of that up. He says, if you love me, that's the only requirement. If you love me, then feed my lambs. Scripture says more than that, though. Scripture says that when... When we um, when we serve others, God will join us in that service. God gives us the gifts we need to be able to serve people. So so um, Paul writes uh, to a church in Rome. He says, "If your gift is serving others, serve them well." That's that's in in a, in a list of different ways people can serve. And he says, Wh- "Whatever it is, whatever your gift is, to serve others, the only requirement is serve them well. Do a good job of it. So so serve them well." But he says, "More important than the gift is love." In his letter to the Corinthians, we've heard this at weddings. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of the angels, if God gave me supernatural gifts so that I could do amazing things with them, but did not love, I would be only a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. He says that love comes first and the giftedness comes second. Now, about those gifts, there are lots of gifts. And, and sometimes we look at people and we say, well, they've got a gift that I don't have, so therefore I can't serve. Uh, Paul speaks about that in his letter to the Ephesians. He says these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. He says there are some people who have been given gifts so we can stand up here and maybe with some help from books about meetings, we can, we can function effectively in doing what? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church as the body of Christ. That the people like me who stand up in the front of the church our job is to be outfitters for you, to help you identify and practice the gifts that God has given you. That we are the administers and you are the ministers in the church. So, everybody can do it. Now, you may say what, but what do I do? How do, you know, where, how do I how do I serve? Well, the obvious choices are look at your education, your expertise, your experience, your enthusiasm. Those are kind of what you would expect, right? There's it, you know, just because it's religious doesn't mean it has to be you know some un- unfathomable mystery. So um, you know, if you know how to do something, that would be a good place to, to try serving. Um, so ex- education, expertise. But I want to talk about um, experience too, uh, uh, just a little bit more. Um, uh, I mean, not just the experience you have, the experience you put in your resume, but I also mean the things that you have experienced, The experiences happened to you. So it's not just that I know how to I know how to do plumbing. So I should serve in the Building and Grounds Committee. But I've been divorced and I'd like to help people who are going through that or people so that they don't make the same mistake I make. The experiences that happen to us as well as the experience we have in, in a kind of trade sort of sort of way. So any kind of experience is something that we can use. Also our enthusiasm. And by enthusiasm, I mean I mean, what makes your heart beat just a little bit faster? What makes your juices flow? What is it that gets you excited? Are there things that you say that's really, that's really where my heart is? So, so the things that you enjoy, the things that that, that feed your spirit, but but more than that, the word the word enthusiasm is an old word. It actually comes from a, a Greek word, um, uh, which is God working in you. It, it, to be enthusiastic is to have God working in you. So it's from the word theos, which means God. And to to be enthusiastic is to have God working in you. So there's those places where, where you say, well, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm just doing my job. You know, everybody does this. And people look at you and they say, no, I couldn't have done that. You know, you just did while having a conversation with me in five minutes what I couldn't have done, left to myself, With all the, you know, if I could concentrate at the same time, it would take me two hours to do what you just did in five minutes. Have you ever had that experience? That may be a place where God has given you a a particular gift um, that you just make something look easy, and other people look at you and say, "I could not, I could not do it the way they do it, as quickly as they do it, as well as they do it." So enthusiasm means not just what what you enjoy, but also the places where God is at work in you. So, so those are the obvious places to look, but ultimately. Ultimately, those might be not be where you where you find yourself serving because disciples discover by doing that Jesus calls us to a life of faith, not to a life of sight. So, so Paul says, yes, um, he Jesus has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. It is, but you know how gifts are, right? They come in wrapping paper, right? They come in a, they come in a little bag, and you don't know what's in there until you unwrap it. You don't know what your gift is. So um, one night Jesus is walking across the Sea of Galilee, and uh, Peter looks out of the boat and says, "Lord, if that's you, um, tell me to come to you walking on the water." And Jesus says, "Get out of the boat. That's that's the only trick here, Peter. Just you know, get out of the boat." And so Peter does, and that's a whole story. So um, I, I commend it to you. Um, but that's nothing new about that story in the in the book of. Um, uh, Joshua, we read how when the people of God are leaving, um, they, they, they've been wandering around in the wilderness and they're ready to go into the promised land. They're about to cross the Jordan River. And God says to Joshua, it's not going to be like for your, your uh, parents' generation. Your parents' generation, I opened up the Red Sea before them and they walked across on dry land. But the Jordan River is a different thing. When you go across the Jordan River, I will open it up before you, but not until you put your feet in it. He says, when... As soon as their feet, as soon as the priest's feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut cut off upstream and the river will stand up like a wall. He says, but not until then. You don't get the dry land before you the way that your ancestors did. God also sometimes calls us to do things that seem impossible. That it's not just something where I think maybe God wants me to work in this area, but I'm going to find out by doing. Sometimes God wants us to do something and we say, I really think this is what I want to do, but i don 't see how I possibly could it, it just seems impossible. What could I possibly do in this area because the problem 's too big or the, the challenge is just too daunting for me? but God likes that kind of thing He tells, he tells Gideon the judge gideon um, he says you 've got too many warriors with you because if you win. If I let all all of you fight the Midianites, when you win, the Israelites will boast to me they've saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. Gideon is told to dismiss two-thirds of the army and then God looks them over and says, you know what, still too many people. And so he winnows it down to just a couple of hundred people because he wants it to be impossible. He wants it so that everybody who looks at it says, that couldn't be done by the numbers they had. So sometimes you discover, not because not because um, uh, there was anything puzzling about it, it's like, that's obviously the thing I should be doing, but I just don't see what good would I do. How could I possibly make a difference in that area? And that may be exactly what God is calling me to do. So, do that. And again, we read in Colossians that when you do that, when you serve in the church and beyond the church, when you serve other people out of love, that Jesus looks at that as service toward himself. We read in the book of Colossians, the uh, letter of the Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. The master you're serving is Christ. That we experience greatness um, by by service and Jesus gives us a reward because he treats that service as if it were done to him. So what is that reward? Well, this may seem like a bad idea, but, it, but I'm, I'm going to try to convince you it's not. The reward is you get more of the same. In, in Matthew 25, the, the servant is given a task to do, and when he completes it successfully, the master says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. If this was drudgery, if this was work you hated, then that would not be a reward. But remember, we began with the idea That God calls us to serve others out of love. And if you have God leaning in when you serve, and the reward for your success is the opportunity to do even more, who wouldn't want that kind of success, that kind of reward? This is the reward that we're offered, is that as we serve others, God helps us, and God recognizes what we've done and gives us the opportunity to do even more. So serve others. Now, I'm going to make this super practical. Next week we're going to elect some officers. They're going to need to they're going to be responsible for things getting done around the church, but there's not going to be enough of them to do all the things we need to do. So, let me encourage you seek them out and say, "Hey, I saw you get elected last uh, last or last night or whatever. How can I help? I'd like to help out in the church." Talk to the officers we elect in the church talk to me. I've got uh, I've got a list. Um, some of you know that that uh this spring when when Ashley moved on, we we de- we decided to readjust some of our spending priorities because we're hoping to have the money to to per, uh to to purchase <laughs> that would be good. Uh to uh to hire someone to help us to revitalize our youth ministry that we want to be able to to reach a new generation and we think strategically we need to be able to to have a more effective youth ministry than we've had. So so we've been putting some money aside and looking for people who might do that work. Um, and in the meantime, I'm doing a lot more administrative work than I used to do. So if you'd like to, to help out in the church, that's another place. But whatever it is, whether it's in the church or whether it's beyond the church, Jesus teaches us that greatness is a result of service. And service in in Christianity comes out of love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, um, that you give us the opportunity to serve you by serving others. You give us um, the strength and the gifts we need in order to be more effective than we could otherwise be on our own. And that you reward us that when we have success uh, working in one area, that when we have achieved the work you've called us to, that you reward us with even more opportunity to be significant and to make a difference. Um, help us to live into this. Help us to find places we can serve. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.